Good morning. Praising God and enjoying the favor of all people, and the Lord added to their numbers daily those who were being saved. And that's from Acts 2.47. Um, as I'm trying to preach through the book of Acts, some sections are going to be bigger, some of them are going to be smaller. And honestly, this is not a very large section of Scripture. I'm just doing Acts 42 through 47. But in Acts 42, um, yeah, Acts 2, 42 through 47, we have what people have a tendency to refer to as the Acts 2 church. And I'm sure if you've been in church long enough, people will tell you how much they desire to be part of an Acts 2 church. Now, the interpretation of what that means varies depending on what camp you're in, but since I've spent time in all of them, I'll just go ahead and tell you the first thing I think of when someone says, well, I like your church, but what I'm looking for is an Acts 2 church. Now, I have an argument for that, but it's not welcome because I know what they mean. When they say I'm looking for an Acts 2 church, I know that they're looking for someplace that is a little more, and I'm going to do air quotes, and this is not against the Holy Spirit in any way, but they're looking for a spirit-filled church, which I would say that I feel we are one, but they're looking for things that are a little more um, exciting, a little more energetic, a little more aisle dancing and such. And God bless the people that engage in that. I just find it distracting. Um, however, but that's usually what I, I interpret when people say I'm looking for an Acts 2 church. But they're taking one verse from the section of a whole scripture that describes the Acts 2 church. And they're taking an effect of being the Acts 2 church and, it's and using it to describe the entire Acts 2 church. And you're like, wow, you're getting ahead of yourself. Probably. That's kind of me in a nutshell. It's getting ahead of myself. But I'm going to go ahead and start at verse 42. <clears throat> and I'm going to read all the way through through 47, and then I'm going to go back and look at a few places individually. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All believers were together and had everything in common. They sold their property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued meeting together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people and the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. What you have there is a full description of an Acts 2 church. And I want to go back and look at it a little closer. Starting in verse 42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. If I was going to summarize what an Acts 2 church really is, it starts with that first line. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Now, will you please uh, just shift here? You'd be like, well, apostles, do we need to appoint apostles? No, we don't, actually. Um, the apostles' teachings, the actual teachings that these apostles would have been doing, uh, they started around Matthew and end around Revelation. This is the apostles' teachings right here. 
We have the apostles' teachings. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings and to prayer and to fellowship and the breaking of bread. Can we do those things? The up and down one means yes, we can do those things. We can do those exact things. We can devote ourselves to the apostles' teachings. And I would like to make an argument that that is our desire, is to devote ourselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship. That's why we call these massive buffets we do fellowship meals, that's spending time together, the breaking of bread, and to prayer. These are all things that we encourage one another to do. So in that way, are we perfect? No. No, we're not. Do we have a ways to go? Of course we do. That's what sanctification is. You start by being saved and then you try to become more Christ-like, right? It's a process. It ends the day you reach that glorification part, which is dying. When you get to go home, from the second you're saved till God calls you home, you're in this process of sanctification, which means we're broken people doing broken people things. But in the midst of that, we are called to devote ourselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Are these things we can do? They are things that we actually do to varying degrees of success. We are an Acts 2 church. They are not believing in a separate Jesus back there than we are believing in now. They are not following different apostles then than we are now, the teachings of the apostles, correct? We are them. They are not separate from us. We are the Acts 2 church. Now, this is the part where, uh, <laughs> where we get the disconnect, I think, culturally. Everyone was filled with awe at the many signs and wonders performed by the apostles. How many of you, by show of hands, how many of you feel like at some point in your life you witnessed a miracle? Oh my gosh, that's almost everyone. Why aren't we talking about it? If there is roughly 50 people here, 40 to 50 people here, and all of us have seen a miracle or two or 12, Why are we so jaded towards miracles? Do we demand miracles from God? Of course not. God is God and God does what God does. Do we petition God for miracles? We do. Do we see miracles from time to time? We really do. I know Don does. His average is a little higher on mine than seeing miracles. But growing up around my grandma Johnson, she never let reality get in the way of a good miracle. And that's a really almost sarcastic way of saying it, but you couldn't be an atheist and be around Grandma Johnson. She never let it get in the way. She never let that whole doubt and reality get in the way of God doing what God was going to do. Is that because she was miraculous? No. She was not. She was a human being who did human being-y things and could make you just mad and hurt at the same time. She could also make you feel loved and welcomed. She was a human being. That's that duality. And I'm a firm believer that if someone is worth remembering, you remember the whole person. Was she a saint? No. 
I actually get mad when people paint her that way. She was worth remembering as she was. That's a little side note. But if you ever hear me say something that sounds disrespectful to someone that came before me, that's actually almost the highest form of flattery I have is when I'm remembering the whole person. Although if I fed you, tell me. I want to fix it. I want to fix it. Anyway, <laughs> too much? But we see miracles. If we look for them, we see miracles. Should we be in awe of miracles? Well, yeah. Absolutely. So, in our midst, I know we've had people that have battled cancer and survived. Right? How many of us, if we were born 100 years earlier, would still be present? I would have died early in my school year, probably, with my appendicitis. That's a small thing now. That probably would have been the end of me. How many times have I had the flu in my life? About three. There is a good possibility one of those could have taken me 100 years ago. And I, I guarantee you, many people in here, if modern medicine wasn't where it was at, would be gone. Which is why the average lifespan was 54 around the turn of the, you know, from the 1800s to the 1900s. The average lifespan was 54. How many of you don't raise your hand? I'm not trying to make this awkward, but how many of you think about it are over 54 or knocking on the door of 54? There is a really good likelihood y'all wouldn't be here. But do we look at God and say, thank you so much? Thank you so much for blessing people with the ability to figure out penicillin. Because honestly, the study that went into that is just gross. But it works. All this modern medicine, the idea that you can poison somebody to cure them, if you take money out of the equation when you look at modern medicine, there's a lot to thank God for. There's a whole lot to thank God for in modern medicine. And outside of modern medicine, occasionally we see people be healed directly by God. One of my favorite stories to tell about miracles is uh, one of those few moments in life when you add them all up where I had spiritual clarity when someone was talking to me. And Maddie needed a hip surgery because she was born with a dislocated hip and the first two things didn't work. Um, and Shriners, who is not a Christian organization, it's run by the Masons, I think, but I love them. They do God's work, whether or not they're willing to acknowledge it. Shriners had a specialist, like the best hip surgery guy in America flew up from Philly for free to do a surgery on my daughter for free. And someone pulled me inside and said, I'm glad that your surgery is happening, but I'm still praying for a miracle. And that really caused me to have a mental shift. A prestigious person who has more money than he needs and a vast education and a good reputation is flying or charging us nothing to come fix my daughter's hip. Us from Nowheresville. And at the time I was working, was I still working at Arby's? Maybe. My family's amazing, but we're not 
anybody of repute, of, of means. Why wouldn't I celebrate that miracle? I do, but why wouldn't we celebrate that miracle? As much as when my grandma Johnson would tell the doctor he was wrong and needed to run his test again because Jesus took her cancer away, which did happen. And I'll tell you what, she still got to go home. She didn't die from that cancer, but she did die. We all get to go home when it's God's timing. And you know what killed her? We still don't know. She got sick and then she died. And what was her cause of death? Her heart stopped. I have no idea. She survived brain aneurysms and cancer and God miraculously healed her. And praise God, she got to go home anyway. Don't keep me here forever, but if it's in God's will, if it's in God's timing, you will be healed. And we need to cling to that. That's nothing wrong with saying, if it's God's will, I will be healed. Sorry, my ADD got the best of me and I had to check under there for a second. There's a drawer in the, in the podium. All the believers were together and had everything in common. Now the Hutterites do that, if you're not familiar with them, and I'm still not sure whether it's Hut or Hood. Hutterites, Hutterites. Those righties. They live in communal places and they have a common purse and they do their best to live this out, to have all things in common. With varying levels of success, I'll be honest. And there's a very American part of my brain that rejects that quickly. But here's the thing, I shouldn't. Because there is far more to sharing all things in common than who technically owns land. Because if you actually keep reading, you see that they still had personal property. But what it means, when I read this, what I feel this means, and I'm open to discussion. Everything in common is a shared mission and a shared vision and shared values. Now, those are very cultural words to use when you're trying to not use spiritual terms. But allow me to say... With all spiritual terms, their shared mission was Jesus. Their shared vision was Jesus. They had all things in common. Everything they did was about their relationship with Jesus. Can we do that? Can we do that? We can. Do we do it? Sometimes. Again, to varying levels of success, we already do that. Let's lean into that. When I read these verses, I'm encouraged, but a little discouraged. I'm mainly encouraged because we're already doing these things. Mostly. We're already doing them mostly. Just need to lean in and keep leaning in. Because when you think about they had all things in common, one of the first things I think about is, and I'm going to use it as an example, but I'm viewed it as a positive. Our business meeting, I thought, actually went very well. And I think most of the people that were there would agree. Were we all in the same place? No. But we're people. Do we have all things in common, though? Are we seeking the will of the same God? 
And if someone seems like they're not, are you praying that that person would seek after the will of the same God? Because what I was blessed by, at first I was stressed. I'm not going to lie to you because I'm like, are we going to be okay? Because there's some very differing opinions. No one was yelling. No one was being rude. But you can tell there's some very strong opinions and issues and things that are going to have to be processed. But I was blessed completely by the people that spoke. I could tell that some people have a very deep desire to follow scripture to the letter. And that blesses me. And I want that. And I could tell the absolute love that other people have for other people. And that blesses me. And I want that. And I want that. Don't you? Don't you want to have a ridiculous love for those around you? Don't you want to follow scripture to the letter? Don't you want to have a high opinion of our tradition? Now that one's probably debatable, but there was another person that spoke up. And at first I found what they were saying hard to, not hard to deal with. I was just like, why are we talking about this? And then later I was incredibly blessed by what they said because I'm like, they have such a high value of what got us here as Mennonites. That is very important to them. And that is something to actually be celebrated. That's something to actually be encouraged. And I just needed to re reevaluate how I was looking at things. But as we grow to have everything in common with our shared vision of Christ, Let's do it with open Bibles, first and foremost, and with some empathy for people that aren't where you are yet. Because as I say almost every week, because we've all made a life practice of it, you can be really wrong about being right. We can be really wrong about being right. But the goal of our church, of every church in, under God, is to have all things in common have that shared vision in Jesus. We need to get there. And it doesn't mean we're always going to be right or we're always going to be wrong. It's, and do I have all the answers? Of course I don't. Which is one of the many things I love about our tradition is we're very congregational. We're going to have to process things as a congregation. We're going to have to talk about things with open Bibles and with empathy can that turn into a shouting match? Yes. Should it? No. No, it shouldn't. But there's a blessing in disagreement. We just have to find it. And I have seen personally where people were struggling and the congregation was able to step up and help them or people within the congregation when nobody knew it stepped in and helped people that really needed it. Whether it was a tragedy um, a tragedy or whether it was a house fire or whether it was someone with cancer, whether it was someone with hospital bills, whether it was just somebody in the community. I have seen people in this congregation either pull together or step forward to care for that person. And in our culture, in the way we do life, we don't do much of the barter system. I really feel that that is, in a way, the equivalent of selling your property to provide to someone. You're taking your resources and you're giving it to someone else. 
We're a very capitalistic society. You decide whether that's a good or a bad thing. But we're a very capitalistic society. Our property is also in currency. So when you give your property to someone else, sometimes that looks like just giving them money. I apologize if I'm not staying very well on these tracks. I, I know I, I tend to follow the bunnies a little bit. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone in need. We do this. We do this. We already do this. Is that something we can lean into more? Of course. But as uh, by and large, this is something we already do. Now, verses 46 and 47. This is where I feel like we can be very hit or miss in this in this uh, department. <clears throat> Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the, fa uh, enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their numbers daily those who were being saved. We don't meet together every day. Again, I've already addressed the fact that in our culture, if you work in Erie and live in Spartansburg and some of your church lives in Cory and some of them live in Centerville, the logistics of meeting together daily are difficult. But you all have phones. And I get called from people in the congregation. Sometimes it's life or death. Sometimes it makes my afternoon. Don called me yesterday afternoon because he was reading through Corinthians and ran into something. So he called me. He made my afternoon. I was having a pretty good day anyway, but he made my afternoon. We have a prayer chain that keeps us updated on who needs prayer. That isn't the same as face-to-face, -face, but it's pretty great. We may not meet in person, but we continue to meet together. Do not forsake the assembly. We are the assembly. If you can't see someone, call someone. If you can't call someone, text someone. Would it be a horrible practice to spend two minutes sending somebody a message or an email or a smoke signal every day? Could you carve out two minutes? I bet you could. Am I grading this assignment? No, my school year's over. Something else I think is really important is, uh, and I know sometimes as bigger groups, when you start meeting with smaller groups, it gets clicky. Now, granted, we're a church made up of mostly families, so you're kind of already there, right? That's something we have to safeguard against our, uh, ourselves against, is trying to include people that aren't already in our family or our family's friends, just getting more aware of that. <laughs> but I don't think that that's all bad, because if you think about it, there's 3,000 people that are converted at the beginning of Acts 2. 3,000. And at the end of Acts 2, it tells us that they're adding daily to the number being saved. Is your home big enough for 3,000 people? Is your home big enough for three extra people? Yes. Right? You don't have a big enough home, and I don't care how big your home is. We can't fit 3,000 people in this church. Start inviting your friends if you want to prove me wrong. But we can't fit 3,000 people in the whole church. 
you know that they were meeting in different homes and smaller groups. If you really think about it, you know they were meeting in smaller groups. Small groups is the lifeblood of a church, whether it's just meeting together for a few minutes, calling each other, whatever. Those small relationships help us stay healthy. Do we have to safeguard ourselves from accidentally excluding people? Yeah, that's humanity. That's human relationships. It starts in the sandbox. It follows you to the grave. We struggle not to exclude each other. Just try to keep an open eye for that. But I would encourage you, if you want to have lunch with another couple in the church or another family in the church, do it as often as you possibly can. Because even when you look at Acts 2, like I said, they had to have been doing that in smaller groups. They had to be getting taught in smaller groups. I get frustrated at the amount of different congregations and amount of different denominations and the amount of different traditions all within the body of Christ. But if you think about it, who's teaching these people? The apostles. There's 12 of them. There's 12 people teaching 5,000 people. I'm just guessing. If you have 12 people teaching 5,000 people, that's almost like having different denominations. But like, oh, I'm going to go sit at the feet of Peter today. So then you got your Peterites or Catholics or whatever, right? And then you have other people sitting under John, James, right? It's almost like having different denominations. This is the closest I can come for a biblical defense of denominations. So give it to me, please. I've been struggling with this since I was a teenager. Even in the way they were taught, they weren't all together physically, but they were all together in the same way that we, not just as Valley View Mennonite Church, but Valley View Mennonite Church with the Baptist Church and the Methodist Church and the Go on down the road and keep going. All those churches, we can be sharing all things in common. We can. It's what God has called us to. We can do it. And how do we do it? By listening to the apostles' teaching. Breaking bread and prayer. Breaking bread. Just doing life together. All of these people had jobs. All of these people had homes. All of these people had families, just like we do. People are people, and they've always been people. And it doesn't take very long in Acts to see people starting to mess this whole thing up. But at its core, can you not see the attributes of the Acts 2 church right here? We've even got signs and wonders. We just don't talk about them. Or we do, and then we say, oh, praise God, and then we move on. So there's things to lean into. We should lean into prayer. We should lean into scripture. We should lean into fellowship with one another. Keep in mind, the scripture does tell us to know right from wrong and to live righteously and to correct those who are in error. That's in there too. All of those are in Scripture. All of those are in Scripture. And so is love and mercy. I don't mean to say that like Elvis. That kind of came out a little Tennessee. Mercy. 
Yeah, love and mercy. And I think it takes a lot of prayer to find where those meet. Is anyone in disagreement with that? It takes a lot of prayer to understand where love and mercy and correcting people in error meet. It takes a lot of study. It takes a lot of prayer. It takes a lot of patience. It takes a lot of waiting on God's timing. But in case no one's told you before, this is the Acts 2 church. So when one of your friends says, I'm looking for an Acts 2 church, pick one. Just pick one. Dig in. Pick a church, dig in, plant your feet, open your Bible, pray, give some hugs. You are in the Acts 2 church. If you can do so without pain, would you all stand with me? Father God, I thank you for those who are here with us today. I thank you for those that weren't able to make it. Lord, I thank you for our brothers and sisters in the different churches down the street. Lord, I pray that you would help us to value each other, to value your teachings, to value what you want from us. Lord, I pray that you would bless the rest of our time together. In Jesus' name, amen. And you may be seated.